Sports Tuned to Yesterday, showcasing programs from radio's golden era. I'm your host, Mark Livonier, and welcome to An Hour of Crime. Later on, a story from 1952 on The Whistler, but right now it's the Mole Mystery Theater. From about the last season of the program, this NBC broadcast from May 14, 1948, called Close Shave. that presents the best in mystery and detective fiction. Tonight's mystery, entitled Close Shave, was written by Frederick Mato and stars the beautiful motion picture and stage actress K.T. Stevens in the role of Ellen Thomas. Now, most of us lead fairly tranquil lives, but some of you listeners may have narrowly escaped disaster and will understand the fear and terror experienced by Ellen Thomas when she finds herself helpless in the face of death. Coming! Oh, hello, Larry. Hello, Ricky. Is Ellen home? My darling roommate should be here any minute. Come on in. Oh, thanks. Ellen's boss is away on her vacation. I guess that's why she's late. Ellen's running Meat and Company's payroll department herself these days. Yeah, she's done swell with her new job. Say, uh, you remember old Mr. Bruno at the barbershop? The one who gave Ellen that job as a manicurist when she first came to New York? Yeah. Well, that's what I came to tell Ellen about. He died yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry. Ricky, I want to tell you I found the most divine hat. Oh, hello, Larry. Hello, Ellen. Larry says that nice old Mr. Bruno died yesterday. Oh, I am sorry, Larry. Yeah, the funeral is tomorrow afternoon. I was thinking I could stop by for you and we could go together. Oh, I, I just couldn't make it tomorrow, Larry. I, I'm sorry. Oh. You send some flowers for me, will you, Larry? Ah, uh, sure. Sure. Ellen, I, uh, I don't suppose... I wondered if... Uh... Yes? I don't suppose you'd have dinner with me tonight. Thanks, but I've got a date. Okay. Well, I better go. Bye, Ellen. Bye. So long, Larry. So long. Ricky, would you iron my blouse? I'm late now. Are you going out with Tony again? Yes. Little rough on Larry, aren't you? Well, I'm not obligated to Larry. Besides, he's just a barber. Oh, nice going. One year in the big city, and our little girl from Grand Rapids has already learned how to be a snob. Oh, now, Ricky, just because I prefer Tony to Larry doesn't mean oh, that I... Oh, sure, honey. Anthony Drexel, great fancy stuff. A baby graduating from manicures to assistant cashier doesn't give you a diploma to hobnob with the social register. But you were the one who encouraged me to take that business course. That means I want you to get hurt by some rich playboy? Oh, honey, break it off. Don't see him. Call it off. I couldn't. Not tonight, anyway. Why not? Well, he's in trouble. Tony Drake in trouble? Mm -hmm. The bank's foreclosing on his polo ponies, maybe. Oh, he hasn't said anything, but something's wrong, I know. Now, Ricky, please help me get dressed. I'm so late now. it already. And all my favorites, too. Favorite foods for my favorite girl. <laughs> and for me, too, of course. The condemned man ate a hearty meal. Tony, is something wrong? Oh, no, what could be wrong? Come on, have some more champagne. But you said... That I love you. Tony. Or did I ever say that? No, you... You never did. Well, I do, darling. I love you, too. Don't say it. Forget it. What's the matter? Nothing, only... Well, Ellen, I... I won't see you again after tonight. Oh, your family's forbidden you. My family? It's all right, I understand. I'm not good enough for you. Not good enough? Good Lord, honey, you, you've got it backwards. You're too good. I don't believe you. Your parents Baby, probably... Now, will you listen? Listen hard? Yes. 
I hadn't intended to tell you this, but darned if I let you go off believing a lot of nonsense. You're in some kind of trouble. Yes. Before I met you, there was a girl, not a very nice girl. I'll skip the sordid details. I lost my head, and she knew how to make it pay off. Go on. I don't think you're going to like me anymore when you hear the rest. I took some diamonds from the wall safe at home. Stuff Dad had given Mother when they were married. I pawned them. You know, to, to pay her off. Well, tomorrow's their anniversary, and Mother always wears the diamonds then. They'll find out what I did, and that'll be the end of everything. What'll they do to you? Oh, Dad wouldn't send me to jail, but I'll be packed off somewhere. And I hate to think what this will mean to Mother. Well, couldn't you borrow the money somewhere? Look, darling, I've been a pretty respectable character since I met you. But my former reputation doesn't exactly enhance my credit rating. There's no one who can help. Well, it's always been my sister Stella. She used to bail me out of scrapes when I was too scared to tell Dad. Oh, that's the irony of it. She was due tomorrow on the Queen Mary. I know she'd have helped me for Mother's sake, but... Oh, now the ship's delayed by storms and won't be in until Sunday. How much money do you need, Tony? Huh? $10,000. Gosh, that's a lot of money. Well, tonight's Friday. I, I could pay it back Sunday at the latest, as soon as I could see Stella. All I need is a loan for two days. Well, I can't get it. I tried everywhere. Oh, there's nothing to do but face the music. Honey, I deserve it, but if Mother... So I'll, I'll feel like a murderer. Tony. Yes? Tony, if you did have the money by tomorrow, you're sure you could repay it before Monday? Oh, by Sunday at the latest. I know Stella would help, but... Oh, anyhow, let's let's make our last day fun. Let's dance. What do you say? No. No, wait, Tony. I'm in charge at my office now. I've got the whole week's receipts in the safe, and I... No. But our office is closed Saturday and Sunday. We put it back before Monday. You said just... Helen, you... I wouldn't think of you letting you do such a thing. But it wouldn't be stealing, Tony. We'd put it right back. Please, Tony. Please let me help. Darling... I'll never forget you for this. Tony, I got the money. Well. I didn't need a soul. Here. Thanks, darling. Come on, we'd better walk over to Third Avenue and get a cab. Tony. What's the matter? Someone's coming. Get back into the doorway. Sure thing. 
Bye, darling. You heard what the lady said, honey. Mm -hmm. Give sister a great big brotherly kiss. Well, not exactly what I'd call brotherly. I don't like that girl, Tony. After this, I don't think I'll let you make love to anybody but me, even for business. Stella, for ten grand, you'd let me make love to... <laughs> oh, that's different. <laughs> sure was a lovely day for us, the day you spotted little Ellen working behind that cashier's window. By tomorrow, it'll be all over. It'll be in all the morning papers, real human interest story. Trusted employee dips into company funds, then gets panicky, can't face the music. So she gets herself a hotel room and takes an overdose of sleeping pills. <laughs> yes, just couldn't resist the temptation of easy money. Poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, this is my sister Stella. The time she doesn't spend at the races, she spends listening to my trouble. <laughs> Stella, this is Ellen. How do you do? Hello. I hope I'm not intruding. Darling, no, I'm intruding. When Tony told me he was in love, I just had to see. And you are pretty. You're terribly pretty, and I'm glad for you both. Thank you. I'm very glad to meet you, too. Wherever Stella goes, so goes the bottle. Come on, let's all have a drink to celebrate your first meeting, huh? Oh, Tony, I don't oh, think I want... Oh, dear. You've got nothing to worry about with me here. Go on, have one. Stella, Ellen has nothing to worry about anyhow. What you know of my past is just that, past. Ellen is my future. Here you are, darling. Drink. Ellen, I drink to your future, and to Tony as well. Any girl that can put that critter on the straightaway is a girl with lots of what it takes. <laughs> Here's how. <coughs> <coughs> darling, what happened? Went down the wrong way. It tastes so funny. <laughs> You're not used to Manhattan's, dear. You go like them, darling. Come on, let's sit down and chat a while, huh? Good idea. Here, Ellen, sit here. Comfortable. Thank you. I am a little tired. I didn't sleep any too well last night. You do seem a little drowsy, darling. Put your head back, Ellen, dear. Rest a bit. Yeah, there. That's better. Ellen, are you all right, dear? Oh, yes. Take a nap, dear. A nice, long nap. Ellen. Hmm? Ellen, dear. Yeah. Ellen, dear. Goodbye, Ellen, dear. What? Cut it out, Stella. Don't you have any feelings at all? I do for you, darling. Oh, Tony. For you, I Hello. Lawrence Fields, please. Speaking. Laurie, this is Ricky, Ellen's roommate. Oh, yeah. Hello, Ricky. I'm worried about Ellen. She's been acting awful funny since Friday when you came to tell her about Mr. Bruno's death. Well, gee, why are you calling me? She made things pretty plain. We're the only real friends she's got, Larry. I just don't like that Tony Drake. And Ellen's acting queer all weekend. Wouldn't leave the house. She jumped like she'd been shot every time the phone rang. Then just a few minutes ago, she went out and wouldn't say where she was going. Said she didn't know if she would come back. Something wrong, Larry, and I don't like it. Well, you know where this Tony Drake lives? Okay, Ricky. If it'll make you feel better, I'll go over to the university club and see if I can talk to this Tony Drake. Great, great. All she does is groan. She should have kicked in hours ago. She's coming to... Why don't you give her more? Shut up. How did I know? I gave her plenty. Well, give her some more now. Will you pipe down? I'm going to give her more. As soon as she comes out of it enough... Why wait? Pour it into her. Listen, Stella, you're a lovely doll, a wonderful partner, and I love you. But if you don't shut up, you too will go to sleep. 
People who are unconscious can't drink. Now, let me handle this. She should have died. She's messing things up. Ellen. Hmm? Ellen, darling. Can you hear me? Ellen. Tony. Tony. I'm sick. So sick. Yes, yes, dear, I know. Here I am. Here, darling. Drink this. It'll make you better. No, no drink. Drink. drink this to make you better. Drink it. No want. Where's Ricky? Where's Ricky? How do I know? Drink this, please, Ellen. Ellen, darling. It's your Tony. Ellen, darling, it's your Tony. Drink that, you little tramp. Oh, Tony, Tony, where am I? What? What's wrong? Tony, darling. Oh, darling, you, you little. Oh. Tony, help. Die. Why don't you die? Stella, you dizzy, dumb. Get away from her. Oh, you've really sticked the two green-eyed witch. Kill her so we can beat it. We've got the dough now. You nuts. We can't lay a finger on her. She's supposed to die from an overdose of sleeping pills. They're killing me. Both of you, you're trying to... Oh, dear Lord, help me. Help. It worked, Tony. It worked. She's dead. Shut up. She's only passed out. We're right back where we started. Only now she's wise. It's got to be murder now. You and your big mouth. Oh. Get me out of it again. Not a good that'll do if she won't drink the stuff. Oh, brother Stella, you're sure foul this up. Maybe not. But, Tony, did you take a room next door in her name? Sure. I figured after she died, we could take her in there and no one could trace her to us. No one here has ever seen me with her. All right. How about the window? What? She's loaded with sleeping pills. She wakes up. She's still scared of facing her boss on Monday. So she jumps out of the window. This is cleaning out for us. Tell her that's it. Her window's over this same court. Toss her out here, then fix the window in her room to look like she fell from there. Good. <laughs> Ricky. She's come Ricky. out of it. Play along now. I've got an angle. Ellen. Hmm? Ellen, can you hear me? Yes. Ellen, listen. We decided not to go through with it. If you do just as I say, don't shout. Behave yourself. I will. I will, yes. Good. Now, first you need air. You've got to have some air to keep come out of this. You've had an overdose of sleeping pills. Get her over here. I'll open the window and let the breezes in. Come on. Hang on a minute. Try to walk over. That'll wake you up. Yeah, that's it. Now. Move your arms. Get the blood going. Move. That's it. Breathe deeply. That's it. Better? Yes. Yes, it's good. My head's clearing. What'll you do to me? Will you let me go? Please, will you tell me? Never mind for now. Just stay close to the window. Breathe deep. Uh, feeling better now? Yes, a lot better. Okay, Tony. Right. Now, baby. What are you doing? No, please. Come on, off. Don't let her scream. Right. No, come on. Okay, now out she go. Who's that? Probably one of the hotel employees. Sit tight. Maybe they'll leave. Assistant, whoever he is. Yeah. Look, Stella, you see who it is. And Ellen, you see this? Yes, a gun. You better say the right things, do you understand? Well... Tony. I'm Tony. Come in. What can I do for you? Well, uh, I wanted to... Ellen. Larry. Oh, friend of yours, Ellen? Yes. Why, Larry, what brings you here? Ricky was worried about you and called me. And I found out plenty. Listen, Ellen, this guy's a phony. 
I checked at the university club. This guy's not Anthony Drexel Drake. His name is Tony Sumac. He's the gym instructor at the club. You'd uh, better explain to him uh, about our marriage, darling. Mary, you should mind your own business. I know all about Tony, and I don't care. We're going to be married. Oh. Is that wonderful? As an old friend of Ellen's, you should be happy for her. I think she's a darling. I love her to death already. I see. Well, okay, that takes care of that. So long. Larry! Yeah? Will you do me a favor? What? I... I had a date. I want to call it off. And I'm too busy, as you can see, and... Bruno's waiting for me. Bruno? But how... Yes. Poor boy, he's waiting for me. Tell him I'm sorry. You understand, Larry? I'd rather not see him. Yeah, I... I understand. Yeah. You should have your head examined, Tony. Now what? Why'd you let him go? And you see, the suicide's out. When her body's found, he'll know about us. She'll write the whole thing shut. Look, let's just tie her up and get out of here. And leave her to shoot her mouth off later? But I won't say anything. If you'll just let... What? Get it, Stella. Yeah. get something? Yeah, I guess you'd say I did. I uh, got to thinking I acted kind of sore and all. Look, uh, I'd like both of you to know Larry Fields is no sorehead. Oh, sure, we know that, don't we, Ellen? Yes, of course. Of course, Larry. I mean, uh, well, congratulations. I hope your marriage will be very happy. Let's shake on it, Tony. Why, you bet. Hard luck on you, but here's my hand on it. That's how things go. It sure is, Tony. Ow! My arm. Let go. Sure, I'll let go. Ow! Larry, in his pocket, a gun. Okay. I got it. You, sister, just stand still. I... You all right, Ellen? Yes. Okay, grab the phone and call the desk. Well, what'll I tell them? Tell them to get the police up here. Hello? Hello? This is room 802. Get the police up here. Hurry. Yes, 802. You sure you're okay, Ellen? Oh, I guess I am, but I was so frightened you weren't coming back. Well, I was so mad at you. I got halfway down the hall before I remembered Bruno was dead. That sure was a close shave. Oh, Larry. You'll never know how close. Now, this is Jeffrey Barnes again, ringing down the final curtain on tonight's mystery theater production, Close Shave, which has starred J.T. Stevens. Now, before I tell you about next week's story, Dan Seymour has an important reminder. Friends, don't delay sending your entries in the mystery theater's sensational $25,000 contest. Get the printed contest rules from your druggist tomorrow. The more entries you send in, the greater your chance to win. And now here again is Jeffrey Barnes. Our story next week's an unusual one. That's very well suited to the man we've chosen to play the leading role. The story is Solo Performance by George and Gertrude Fass. And our star, the well-known stage, screen, and radio personality, Everett Sloan, will play the part of an actor who is called upon to play the most difficult role of his career. <laughs> Original music for the Mole Mystery Theater is composed and conducted by Alexander Sendler. Bill Quinn and Elspeth Eric were featured in tonight's performance. Any resemblance between the names and characters used on this show and any actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. And now this is Dan Seymour saying goodnight until next week at this same time when the Mystery Theater presents Solo Performance, starring Everett Sloan. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The Mole Mystery Theater, on tuned to yesterday, a May 14th, 1948 broadcast from NBC. Thanks for listening to this hour of crime on tuned to yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Livonier. 
Now on to an episode of The Whistler with a script contributed by Carol Nix, who had five of her stories featured on the program, all with a strong female lead. This May 25, 1952 broadcast from CBS called Charming Hostess. The Whistler. I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story, Charming Hostess. Peter Courtney III belonged to one of San Francisco's first families. He was rich and popular and had a beautiful wife. But few of his friends had ever met Mrs. Courtney. She seldom left the Courtney's Atherton estate. Yes, the big rambling house and the beautiful grounds appealed to Barbara Courtney. She felt happy there and safe. It was only an hour's drive into the city. But to Barbara, it was like another world. And nothing intruded except the newspapers and the mail. The morning mail and newspapers placed at the breakfast table by the old butler, Williams, always gives you an uneasy feeling, doesn't it, Barbara? Yes, even though they usually turn out to be advertisements and invitations, even this morning. Anything interesting in your mail, darling? Oh, it's the usual, Peter, invitations. They still keep coming in spite of the fact that we never accept. I've been thinking about that, Barbara. You want to go out more. Oh, don't be ridiculous. I despise social affairs. Yes, I know. But I've been talking to Dr. Kastner. Dr. Kastner, the psychiatrist. Not about me. <laughs> no, dear, of course not. The subject came up accidentally. I see. We happened to have lunch together at the club yesterday, and he got to talking about seclusiveness. Seclusiveness? Staying at home too much. Dr. Kastner says it can become rather harmful. Oh, nonsense, dear. Lots of people don't like dashing around. Nevertheless, I've made up my Peter... mind. Peter, when we were married, you promised that we'd live quietly. And we have, for quite a long time. Has it? Seems so long, Peter. No, darling, I didn't mean it that way. It seems only yesterday that I was in that military hospital overseas being cared for by a very lovely nurse. That's what I am, dear, a nurse. Not a socialite, just a plain, simple person. And a sweet one. Too sweet to be hidden away. But I like being hidden. I'm really very shy. <laughs> yes, I know. I'll never forget that look on your face when they turned those newsreel cameras on us when we came back from Europe. I'll admit I was frightened. I realized for the first time that I married a very prominent man. That reminds me, our marriage anniversary is on the 10th. And do you know what we're going to do? I know, Peter, what? We're going to give a party. A big one. Oh, Peter, no. We'll invite everybody, all my old friends. But, Peter, it's out of the question. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I know nothing about entertaining. You'll learn. And you'll like it when you get used to it. But can't you see? I'm, I'm just not the type. I'll take a chance on you, Barbara. You're a lovely, gracious woman. You'll be a charming hostess. You stare at Peter in horror, don't you, Barbara? Because you can see that his mind is made up. And a big party, strangers, publicity, is the thing you want least in the world, isn't it? In the days that follow, you use every argument to make Peter give up the idea. But he goes right ahead with the invitations and plans. Then one evening, a few days before your anniversary, when he comes home from his office in the city, he presents you with something. It's your anniversary present. So where at the party? A pearl necklace? Oh, Peter. I know that pearls are for the 30th anniversary, but I didn't want to wait 25 more years. You're so generous. I have so much jewelry, and now this? What can I ever give you in return? The only thing I want is many more years as happy as the last ones have been. Thank you, dear. You're very sweet. Oh, by the way, here's the evening paper. They've given us quite a write-up on the society page. Oh, Peter, do we have to have that sort of publicity? Well, of course. I wish they could have run your picture. But I have a picture. I know. You must have some made, dear. Why, yes, I... I suppose so. Yes, I will. Sometimes. It's in the second section. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, it, it, it sort of startled me to see my name in print. Oh, for a moment I thought something was wrong. No, no. There's nothing wrong. 
But there is something wrong, isn't there, Barbara? Yes, very wrong. You've seen something in the paper. Something you don't like at all. And the minute you're alone, you read the item over and over again. Myra Dorsey has been released from prison. Myra Dorsey, the nightclub photographer. She hates you, doesn't she? Always has. And she'd do anything to find you, expose you. Because she didn't have your luck. Myra was arrested as an accessory in the Tremonti killing. While you got away, you, Babe Dean, the dark-haired checkroom girl, the one person that the police really wanted. Only they didn't look in the big Canadian hospital, where a shy and by then blonde student nurse was in training. The same nurse who later married Peter Corton. Yes, Barbara. You know you must be more careful than ever now. And at the coming party, you must make sure there are no pictures. That subject comes up again the day before the party. When the butler, Williams, speaks to you. The San Francisco Society reporter's on the telephone, ma'am. She wishes your picture. Well, I'll talk to her myself, Williams. Uh, I'll take it on this phone. Very well. Excuse me. Hello, this is Mrs. Courtney. I'm doing a story on your party, Mrs. Courtney. I'd like to run your picture. I'm sorry, I haven't a recent photograph. Well, then perhaps you have an old one. When you were a brunette. A brunette? <laughs> I scared you, didn't I? This is no reporter, babe. It's your old friend, Myra Dorsey. You've made a mistake. Oh, no, you're the one who made the mistake. When you let me take the prison rap you had coming. And you made another one when you got in that newsreel. Newsreel? Sure, after your honeymoon. Oh, we see him in prison. Captain Peter Courtney returns from Europe with bride. Only the bride was Babe Deems with a dark hair bleached blonde. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody recognized you but me. But, of course, I knew how you'd looked as a blonde because I had the picture. Picture? What picture? A flashlight I took of you and Tremonti the night Tremonti was killed. You wore a blonde wig, babe. I still have the picture. Oh, and, of course, I have other things. Letters, things like that. Enough evidence that I could have Mrs. Peter Courtney picked up by the police within 24 hours. I see. How... How much do you want? Well, now you're talking like the old babe, Dean. You're going to pay me for every day I spend in prison. $15,000. I'll be at your house at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. No. No, don't come here. Well, why not? I've been wanting to see the court in your state for a long time. All right. But please, Myra, come to the side door. It's down the driveway. I'll let you in myself. The side door? Well, okay. For 15 grand, I can afford to be insulted. I'll be there at five on the dot. I'll watch for you from the upstairs window. What will you be wearing? Honey, they don't give you mink when you get out of prison. I'll be wearing the only thing I've got. A dark blue coat and hat. Even while you've been talking, you've decided on your first step, haven't you, Barbara? Yes. And that first step is to raise the money Myra demands by selling some of your jewelry. The next morning, after Peter leaves for the city, you take your own car and drive into San Francisco. But it takes much longer than you thought to raise $15,000, doesn't it, Barbara? And it's dangerously late by the time you start home. And you've got to keep the rendezvous at five with Myra. The traffic is heavy. And even driving fast, it's half past five when you arrive home. Then you see Peter's car. Realize that he's home. That will make things even more complicated, won't it, Barbara? You force yourself to enter the house and find Williams very excited as he meets you at the door. Oh, Mrs. Courtney, I'm glad you're here. Mr. Courtney's been asking for you. Where is he, Williams? Upstairs with Dr. Adams. Dr. Adams? Peter isn't ill. Oh, no, ma'am. They're with the woman. Uh, woman? What woman? Uh, the poor woman was hit by a car right in front of the house. A woman was hit by a car? Who is she? Do you know? No, madam. I never saw her before. But I don't think she's a friend of the family. So what makes you think that? Well, for one thing, she's rather poorly dressed. Oh? Uh, what is she wearing? Very drab clothing, ma'am. Very. Uh, dark blue coat and hat. 
Well, Barbara, you've been in a state of panic for several weeks, haven't you? Ever since your husband, Peter Courtney, insisted on giving an anniversary party. Then you learned that Myra Dorsey, out of prison, planned to expose you. Reveal your grim past in connection with the Tremonti killing, unless you pay her $15,000. And you're sure this is just the beginning of a long series of blackmail demands. But now, returning home to keep your appointment with Myra, you learn of the hit-and-run accident in front of the house. You stand terrified, but strangely excited and pleased inside, as you guess what happened even as Williams describes it to you. Mr. Courtney and I saw the whole thing as I was bringing him from the station. Fortunately, Dr. Adams happened along a few minutes later. We, we, we brought her in and, and put her upstairs in the green bedroom. Oh, Mr. Courtney's coming downstairs now. Oh, Peter, how is she? I don't know. She's unconscious. She is? Yes. Lucky Dr. Adams happened along. Uh, perhaps I can help. You don't know who she is? We haven't the faintest idea. But wait a minute. Didn't she have a bag, William? Yes, sir. A large blue bag. It was lying in the road beside her. I put it in the living room. Well, there might be identification in the bag. I'll look, dear. Oh, wait. Here comes the doctor. The doctor, what do you think? Concussion and Lord knows what else. You know Mrs. Courtney, don't you? Oh, why, yes, sir. How do you do? How do you do? Mrs. Courtney was a nurse during the war. Is that right? Well, I'll then... be glad to do anything I can, Doctor. Anything. Well, that's fine. I'll go back upstairs as soon as I've made some phone calls. As the doctor goes to the telephone, you hurry to the living room, don't you, Barbara? Go straight to the chair where you see a large blue bag. You haven't much time, but you open it quickly. Take out everything that will burn. Toss it all into the flames of the fireplace. You work fast, and a moment later, you're glad that you have. For you've just replaced the bag on the chair when Peter enters the room. Well, we've got to find out who she is so her relatives can be notified. Where's the bag? Her, her bag? Oh, yes. This must be it here on the chair. Hmm? Oh, yes. Well, what do you know about that? What's the matter? Well, there's practically nothing in it. Nothing but a compact and a small coin purse. Well, I'd better go tell the doctor. Peter, wait a minute. I I want to talk to you. Well, of course, dear. What is it? What do you suppose Dr. Adams intends to do? Call an ambulance and take her to a hospital in Palo Alto, I suppose. I wonder if it's safe to move her. What do you mean? Sometimes it isn't in these cases... I'm sure that if Dr. Adams thought he had unlimited funds at his disposal, he'd prefer not to move her, and he'd send for an X-ray man and a specialist. Well, if money is any object, I'll take care of everything. Oh, Peter, you're so generous. But it was your idea. Talk to the doctor about it, will you? Of course I will, right away. But first, let me tell you something. Yes? You're one of the sweetest, kindest women in the world. You smile at Peter as he walks away, don't you? He's so unsuspecting and so far from the truth. You breathe easier, realizing that you'll be able to give Myra the money and tell her the letters and all her evidence against you has been destroyed. A little later, as the doctor comes up, it looks as if things are working perfectly in your favor. I've just had a talk with your husband, Mrs. Courtney. Yes, doctor. I must say that you're both being most generous. Naturally, we want to do everything we can. That's very fine of you, very I called Dr. McLean over in Berkeley. He's an excellent man. He'll be down as soon as he can with an X-ray man. And in the meantime, the patient can remain here? Yes. Now, there isn't much for you to do. Just call me if there's any change. Very well, Doctor. You can trust me. Yeah, I'm on my way to an urgent case when this happens. Here. You can reach me at this number for the next hour. Yes, Doctor. Now, the main thing is to let her have quiet. Don't disturb her unless she calls. I understand becomes conscious, she may be in great pain. Give her a hypodermic and a solution. You know how, of course? Certainly. Good. Nursing experience is a valuable asset. You never know when it's going to come in handy. That's so true, Doctor. With a few more instructions, the doctor leaves. You look at the hypodermic and toy with an idea in the back of your mind. It's a way out, isn't it, Barbara? The hypodermic. You know how to use it to settle everything, don't you? But you reject the idea almost as soon as it comes to you. No. Surely you won't have to take such an extreme measure. A few moments later, Peter calls you. 
Darling, don't you think you'd better get dressed? Dressed? Why, yes, getting late. Don't tell me you've forgotten about the party. Oh, but surely we can't have the party now. Well, it's too late to do anything else. Don't worry, we can handle this. I've been working like a dog. We've arranged powder and cloakrooms downstairs. The guests won't have to come up to the second floor. Oh, but Peter, the poor woman, the noise. It can't be heard upstairs. And we aren't going to let the guests know that anything is wrong. Peter, I don't see how I can go through with this party. I'm, I'm terribly tired, almost ready to faint. Oh, darling, I'm sorry. Why didn't you rest during the day? And that reminds me, William said you were gone all day. Why, yes. To tell you the truth, I drove up to the city. Good Lord, on the day of the party? Why? Well, it was stupid of me, but at the last minute, I... I found I didn't have an anniversary present for you. And you went in to get me something. You poor darling. But where is it? Where's what, Peter? The present. I want to see it. Oh, it, it, it isn't ready yet, Peter. You, you'll see it later. And I'm sure I'll love it. Say, look at the time. I've got to get downstairs. In your confusion, you'd forgotten the party, hadn't you, Barbara? But it doesn't matter now. Myra's found you, but you have everything under control. As long as you're sure, you'll be the first to talk to her when she regains consciousness. Yes, for the present, you feel quite safe. Then you see Williams approaching, accompanied by a tall, gaunt-looking woman. This is Nurse Phillips, Mrs. Crockley. Nurse Phillips? I, I, I don't understand. Uh, Dr. Adams had me sent out from Palo Alto. I came as soon as I could. Will you excuse me, madam? Certainly, William. And uh, where is the patient? Uh, in, in there, nurse. I understand you don't know who she is. Uh, no, we don't. Well, she'll probably come around soon. I'll find out who she is and notify the police. No. Don't do that. But why not? Dr. Adams said to give her a hypodermic. I have a solution. Well, I'm in charge now, Mrs. Courtney. I know Dr. Adams' instructions. Now, you run along and get ready for your party. Oh, uh, you will bring me the hypodermic and solution Dr. Adams left with you? Oh, yes. Yes, Miss Al. I'll bring it to you. Right away. Even as you realize the helplessness of your position with the arrival of Nurse Phillips, you begin to plan again, don't you, Barbara? It won't do to let anyone else be at Myra's side when she comes to, will it? And you're determined that there's only one way now to stop her. The answer is simple, isn't it? Just a few drops of the deadly poison the gardener uses on your roses. You slip away from Peter and the party guest long enough to add the deadly dosage to the solution given you by Dr. Adams. Two moments later, you're back upstairs. Yes? Oh, Mrs. Corbin. Uh, here's the hypodermic, miss. And the solution, fine. Uh, I'm glad you're here to administer. You know, it's been so long for me, I'm afraid I've forgotten all about this sort of thing. <laughs> well, I'll take care of it. Dr. Adams said, right away. He seemed quite insistent. <laughs> I said I'll take care of it, Mrs. Corbin, right away. Now, please, go back to your guest. After all, it is your anniversary. You should be enjoying the party with your husband. Yes, I should. <laughs> you know, Nurse, it's so reassuring having you take over. I do believe I can enjoy the party now. Yes, Barbara, you go downstairs, join the guest and your husband. You're safe now, aren't you? Much later, Peter manages to get you alone for a moment. Darling, I broke away for a minute just to tell you, well, that you're a great success. A completely charming host. I'm so glad you think so, Peter. And under such trying conditions. Uh, yes. Excuse me, madam, sir. Uh, yes, William? Uh, Dr. Adams is here. Oh? He's out in the foyer. Let's go, dear. Uh, please don't be upset, madam, but uh, I have the feeling that everything isn't as it should be. I see. Hello, Dr. Adams. Mrs. Courtney, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, has anything happened, Dr. Adams? Unfortunately, yes. You don't mean... Yes. Uh, Mrs. Courtney, the, the patient is dead. Oh, I'm so sorry. She died before Dr. McLean and I got here. How tragic. Yes, isn't it? However, I was sure from the first that she didn't have a chance. She... She didn't? No. Dr. McLean agrees with me. Now, you go back to your party. We're going to take care of everything very quietly. The guest won't know that anything's happened. 
Come along, dear. You did all that you could. Yes. Yes, Peter, I did all I could. There's nothing left to do now. During the summer months ahead, cars take quite a beating, what with long, fast vacation trips, in addition to frequent weekend outings. That's why now is a good time to get your car in shape by making sure that all wearing parts are freshly and properly lubricated. For the chassis, that means a signal double-check lube job. We call it double-check because signal dealers check each lubrication point not just once, but twice to make double sure that not a single part is ever overlooked. Perhaps it's also time to look after those points on your car which need attention twice a year or each 5,000 miles, such as transmission and differential, front wheel bearings, and shock absorbers. You'll find signal dealers are experts at these and many more upkeep services. After all, signal dealers are independent businessmen who have a personal interest in pleasing you. This conscientious service, plus fine quality signal products, are just two reasons why cars run so well and last so long when serviced regularly by signal dealers. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far, will go far the gasoline. Barbara, you're certain that you're in the clear now, aren't you? You're sure that Myra, the one person who could identify you with the killing of the racketeer Victor Tremonti years ago, is eliminated, dead. Now you can continue fooling the police as you have for years as Mrs. Peter Corton. It seems strange, doesn't it, to have Myra struck down by a car near your home. And you managed to dispose of the contents of her bag in the fireplace before anyone could see them. But it's over now. Also, the very successful party. And the next morning at breakfast, Peter greets you with a newspaper. You smile, realizing that you're no longer afraid of newspapers and photographers. Good morning, darling. Did you rest well? Oh, I was tired. Well, you had a right to be. What a party. I told Williams not to let any calls disturb you. You had quite a few. Phones been ringing constantly. Ooh. <laughs> Am I a big success, darling? Are you? <laughs> It makes quite a story on the society page. Listen, I'll read it to you. Entertaining 200 guests is no easy job under the best circumstances. But few hostesses have been confronted with the situation Barbara Courtney found herself in last night. With a gay party going on downstairs, she had the added responsibility of an uninvited guest in an upper bedroom, a victim of a hit-and-run accident near the Courtney estate. But Mrs. Courtney, a former nurse, was equal to the occasion. She did everything in her power to try to save the life of the fatally injured woman. I only did what anyone would have done. Oh, no, dear. You were most thoughtful. Mr. Courtney, the police are here. Lieutenant Briscoe. The police? Oh, about the hit-and-run accident yesterday. Well, not entirely, Mr. Courtney. Huh? Sorry to intrude on you like this, but uh, we're here to make an arrest. Arrest? Yes. Your wife. What are you talking about? We've been looking for your wife ever since the killing of a man named Tremonti six years ago. Myra Dorsey told us all about your part in that killing, Mrs. Courtney. She also showed us some very incriminating photographs of you. But Myra never regained consciousness. Myra Dorsey wasn't unconscious. She's in jail on a hit-and-run charge. She got talkative because she thought you saw the accident and turned her in. Actually, we traced the license number. You mean Myra was the driver? That's right. A rented car. Myra Dorsey was the one that hit the unfortunate woman who died. The woman who was identified at the coroner's office as... Mary Benson of Burlingame. Mary Benson? Mary Benson? That was the name of the young woman who failed to arrive to serve at the party. Please, Barbara, tell me. This is all some sort of a a joke, isn't it? No. I'm afraid it is, Peter. A horrible joke. One that I played on myself.
Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Meantime, Signal Oil Company and the friendly independent dealers who help you go farther with Signal Gasoline hope you'll remember. Regardless of what gasoline you use, you'll enjoy more miles of happy driving if you drive at sensible speeds, obey traffic regulations, and avoid taking chances. You may even save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Bill Foreman as the Whistler, Byron Kane, Alice Reinhardt, Joe Gilbert, Herbert Butterfield, Herbert Litton, and Bill Boucher. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by George Adrian and Carol Nix, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler was entirely fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember to tune in at this same time next Sunday when the Signal Oil Company will bring you another strange story by The Whistler, entitled A Case for Mr. Carrington, in which the heat and native passions of tropical Jamaica combine to bring a young American to the point of killing and final payment for his crime. Marvin Miller speaking for The Signal Oil Company. The Whistler, on Tuned to Yesterday from the 25th of May, 1952 on CBS. And that closes this hour of crime on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from radio's golden years. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for tuning in.